What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and host of the What to Know podcast show. And today I have Hamont Tanasia, who is the Managing Director of General Catalyst. He's also an author. We'll talk more about that and founder of Comure. So welcome, Hamont. I'm thrilled to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Well, I, I'm excited about this one, I think, as I told you. Not that I'm not excited about all of my podcasts, but there are some that are a little bit more interesting to me than others. And I think one of the things that I'm excited to talk to you about, and we'll dig into this, is um, you had a hand in launching Labongo, which has had sort of meteoric success and um, our mutual friend Jackson here has put us together because he saw that I had done an interview early days with Glenn Tolman, who's an amazing man, and I have a sense that you're going to uh, be cut out of that same mold. So the first thing I want to start with, which kind of blew me away, uh, and I'm a New England guy originally, so I also have a little bit of a personal connection here, that according to your bio, you have not three, not four, but five degrees from this little tech school in New England called MIT. It sounds like you were planning on heading into academia and then you pivoted you know, into the world of venture capitalism to one of the most premier venture capital firms in the world. Um, let's talk a little bit about how all of this academia, all of these degrees prepared you for the job you do today. Studying a lot of different disciplines could also be looked at as a lack of focus of a, or ADD, which is really good um, skill set for venture capital. I mean, I think um, the amazing thing about my years at MIT was they really teach you how to be a good systems thinker and connect the dots between different disciplines. So one of the things I did there was actually help launch the uh, biomedical engineering program, which is at the intersection of biology and, and uh, computer science and mechanical engineering. And just being able to connect the dots uh, across different disciplines uh, is a great training for venture capital because frankly, what you're trying to see is how are different tectonic forces going to shift in different markets or technologies and come together into whatever the future may hold in that industry. And, uh, and so that, uh, you know, I, I go back to a lot of that learning. Uh, and, and frankly, has, is one of the reasons why my overall investing is fairly broad. I invest across many sectors, although you know, we're talking about our, you know, uh, healthcare where I've been focused for a few years now. So, you know, it's, it's foundational experience for me. Well, I like that answer. And I, I'll just say, you know, personally, I did Russian studies for six years, both at UMass Amherst and then Georgetown, and I do nothing with it. But I did love learning how to learn. And I like that idea of the systems thinking and really sort of having this broad understanding of how things come together. And I agree with you. And not that I'm in venture capital, but certainly as the head of marketing for a firm that's done technology and healthcare and is focusing a lot on digital health now, it definitely comes into play to have that broader background. So um, I appreciate you sharing that. So I did tee up up front. Uh, one of the reasons we got connected is through Lavongo and Glenn Tolman. And again, one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had. Like you want to talk about a guy that just has his fingers in a ton of different pies. Uh, but you played an instrumental role in the company's creation. Let's talk a little bit about those early days and sort of, you know, how uh, maybe a little bit about the journey of it ultimately going public. Yeah, maybe I'll start with uh, with the story of, uh, how this whole thing started for uh, Glenn and I, because you know our relationship and our partnership is broader than just one company. We really think about that systemic change in healthcare together, if you will. So 
I met Glenn and his partner, Lee, when uh, we were both investors in a company called Humanica. This was a data company Optimum of acquiring. That was actually the first company I helped incubate, and that's how I got into healthcare. So when we sold uh, Humanica and Glenn and Lee were leaving uh, all scripts, I invited um, them to come to the Valley. And what I did was I set up for them to meet sort of 30 minute speed dating sessions with a bunch of interesting entrepreneurs that were tech entrepreneurs doing healthcare. And then I set up a dinner for us afterwards to debrief. And, you know, if you know Glenn, he's a very uh, uh, kind and um, uh, respectful Midwestern uh, executive. And, and he sort of politely said, I don't know how to tell you this, but none of these companies are actually going to be successful. And, uh, and I actually sort of like, exactly, that, that is the point. Uh, the point is there's a lot of well-intentioned people that know a lot about technology design with transformed industries, but they don't actually get healthcare. They don't understand this is not a free market where just a great piece of code or, or design is not just going to go disrupt all the problems right. that exist here. And by the way, the counter of this is also true. We see a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurs coming out of the healthcare sector they generally have some physician training and they hire some software contractors and write some kludgy piece of code and said, this is going to transform healthcare. And that's also incomplete. So, so the conversation was very much about, Hey, you know how to navigate this world. We know how to build great technology companies, design machine learning, AI. How about we pair up and, and go tackle a problem uh, that, you know, is uh, interesting to us. So that's how the journey started. And obviously if you know Glenn's story, given his, his son's uh, fight with diabetes, that was sort of the natural place where he was leaning in. And then we drew up on a a whiteboard, sort of first principles, rethink of how you manage uh, chronic conditions for consumers. And uh, that's how, you know, the whole journey started. And and, and frankly, not that long ago, only it was only been about seven years uh, since we got going on this. Yeah, I think I met him, I want to say I met him three or four years ago, maybe three years ago at a conference, and we sat down and did the interview. So Livongo was just sort of on its, you know, way up, even though we knew there was a good chance it was going to be successful, and certainly based on his Allscripts uh, experience, you know, he, he did some amazing work there. So I guess I'm going to ask you a related story or a related question, because you did mention you're the founder of Comure, and I would love to know more about this, and I have a feeling there's probably some additional connections there that we can explore. It's, it's a great uh, time to be asking that question. You know, Livongo inspired me to create uh, Khmer. And I'll tell you why. The, with the simple mission of helping a thousand Livongos bloom. If you think about what we did there, we took 32 million people uh, with chronic conditions and we created a virtual health system for them. Okay. And this virtual health system is very much focused on the consumer first mindset, what we call health assurance. And, uh, um, uh, you know, we have to figure out a way to then take those consumers with chronic conditions and bridge their care across the virtual health system we created and the physical health systems they go to. What that shows you, there's a clear need for infrastructure that, uh, is required to create that real-time continuum of care from the virtual to the physical. Now, think about the next Livongo that's going to provide that virtual health system for uh, persons with transgender care, which, by the way, is actually a place for building a company, or women, or 
uh, folks with cardiometabolic diseases, what have you, it's conditions, demographics, uh, whatever they are, and bridging their virtual care, which I believe is going to get created by many Livongo-like companies, already is, like, you know, hinge and musculoskeletal, there's so much going on, and then bridging into physical. We need new infrastructure in healthcare that enables that. And that's what inspired uh, us to create Commuter. Well, it sounds like a much needed uh, function in the world as we're starting to see all of this telemedicine take place. Now, it's a good segue because one of the things that fascinated me about you was I, I was reading this HBR article that you wrote back in April, and it was called How Tech Companies Can Help Fix U.S. Healthcare, which is a fairly lofty uh, you know, sort of title, given the fact that I think there are a lot of things that need to be addressed. One of the things, though, that really struck me, I think it was about a third of the way in, is you, you had a subhead that talked about the fact that you said, we must partner with and empower health systems, not disrupt them. And I found that really insightful, sort of similar to the, the, the quote you made a minute ago, where a lot of tech companies think that they can come in and just sort of help fix. You have a lot of health people that come into the tech world and think they can just develop, but it really takes sort of a deep understanding. So talk a little bit about how you got that insight. I think it's related to what you were saying before, but I'd love to explore that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so when you uh, sit in the value, well, the most overused word is the word disrupt, right? So right. you've got companies that say, we'll build such great AI and machine learning that will just disrupt physicians or we'll disrupt this or we'll disrupt that. And, you know, when the rubber meets the road and a pandemic hits, it's that workforce that was at the front lines putting their lives at risk to take care of the rest of us. So I think, I think it just shows a little bit of lack of empathy of how to approach uh, this particular sector. And uh, another uh, example of where that same mindset is manifesting itself is, you know, a lot of uh, companies are thinking about how do we build narrow networks, whether employers like what Haven's trying to do and we can service our employees really well, or modern insurance companies that are getting created. Well, I think that's great for your um, population that you might be serving as that business. But if everybody starts thinking about peeling off the profitable parts of the health system, off of the health system in these companies, look what you're leaving behind for the rest of the society. A completely unviable health system. So, so I, think, I think this mindset is what uh, made me very convicted that we do have to have this view of partnership if we're going to evolve this uh, health system towards what the future really needs. And it first and foremost comes from helping these systems become better businesses. Okay, this is, you know, $4 trillion of revenue and $4 trillion of cost. Surely there's a way to make uh, these businesses far, far better by helping them use technology like we've done in other industries. This is a place where I think the technorati left this industry behind. And part of what we're trying to do is provide uh, leadership in rethinking our approach to it. Yeah, and in, I think there's so much that we can do. And it's interesting because one of my last podcasts that I did, I think it was two weeks ago, was with a couple of professors over in the UK. And they're talking about this agile uh, treatment and vaccine process. Right now they're focused on COVID treatments, not the vaccines. And it was interesting because it's really looking for this balance of safety and speed. And one of the approaches they use is a Bayesian um, approach. And it was interesting listening to them. And I think it is some of that innovation that's lacking. 
and to your point, it doesn't have to be disruptive. It just has to be smarter, right? And I think anything that our government runs tends to not ever be as efficient as it could be. It's part of why sometimes the best partnerships are bringing, you know, the, the public with the private together. And, and certainly you guys are doing a lot of that. And I guess related, one of the other things, and we'll talk about this more when we get into your book about the health assurance idea, but you brought up this idea of the GDP of healthcare. And the fact that I think you said something like 20% of our overall GDP is spent on healthcare, but we have one of the least effective healthcare systems in the world. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things that we need to do to really make us more effective. And then we'll get into the health assurance when we talk more about your book. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, first of all, you know, as a, as a tried and true venture capitalist, you know, to say that I'm going to reduce the size of the market is, is a, is a, a new way of thinking, you know, uh, for us, because that's, that's, we think about all of our, ta- uh, you know, time expansions, total addressable markets. Uh, but I think in this particular case, uh, you know, the strain that it puts with the size of the healthcare spend that we have in this country on the government, you know, families, everybody, it's, uh, it's becoming unsustainable. So we have to shrink the size of the market. And so, you know, our uh, view is uh, there is no silver bullet. It, again, comes down to building fundamentally better businesses. I think it comes back, comes down to um, leveraging much more market-driven, rational economic-driven uh, behaviors. And, you know, those exist in the employer markets. Those exist with consumers as you go to high deductible areas and more and more of your spend, you're being much more rational in how you think about it. Uh, you know, uh, so looking for those points where who pays, who decides, who benefits is aligned and trying to build great consumer experiences that we can, we can sort of bit by bit start moving this sector into what any other normal industry looks like. I mean, that's, that's the journey that I think we need to be on as opposed to thinking there's some idea that's going to, you know, blow up the whole system and, and, and reframe the problem. It's not going to be some policy that does this. It really is bit by bit build uh, businesses that are just fundamentally better and better for consumers. Well, it makes sense. And um, so you went on and, and wrote a book about this, which I think just came out in July. Uh, the book is called Unhealthcare. So I love the, the title. And a lot of it does focus around this idea of health assurance, which is this concept, which not a novel concept, right? But I think we, we have not done a good job focusing it on helping us stay well, not just getting well, right? And I know Dr. Eric Topol, who's one of the folks that I've had the pleasure of interviewing, is a big believer in that and, and really having much more of a persistent, um, you know, if you're constantly checking in and I think you, one of the premises is that, you know, with telemedicine, you can do this much better and much more effectively than we have in the past, but talk a little bit more about the book and maybe how we bring this to, to become a reality. Yeah. I mean, look, we, 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 um, built a, a working health insurance system in this country, right? If you get uh, sick, we have a system that uh, will get you well. Um, for both financial and sort of from a care, sick care uh, delivery perspective, we don't have a health assurance system. If we just keep people healthier, which is far, far less cheaper, you don't have to tap into that health insurance system as much. That's ultimately the secret to getting uh, uh, into, you know, getting healthcare to be more affordable. So, so I think health insurance to us is a mindset, which is first and foremost, build these consumer experiences that get adopted by them 
and so they stay healthier. Do these in a way that is not parasitic to an already infeasible system and we're reducing costs all along the way. So very uh, deep focus on that. And frankly, the third piece is um, you know, learning from the way we've used data in building these consumer habits in other industries like social media. Let's learn from that and not make the same mistakes again. This is, this is even far greater responsibility as people's lives. And so how do we do, uh, do bring the use of AI uh, into the sector with great uh, mindfulness, if you will. So I think that's that's the framing, and you know, it eventually when rubber meets the road, it comes down to how are we going to build these next set of companies over this coming decade uh, to accomplish what I just talked about as a health assurance system. Well, and that's another good segue because you do work at this company called General Catalyst, and one of the areas that you focus on is healthcare and health tech in particular. Let's talk a little bit about the approach that you and General Catalyst are taking to bring some of this to a reality, because I think probably a lot of people are listening and saying, yeah, no doubt that that makes sense, but this is a huge battleship, and where do we even start in turning this around? I think companies like General Catalyst who do invest in these game-changing companies are the ones that can really be part of the solution to that. So with that, talk a little bit about what you all are doing. Yeah, you know, we... Um uh, my partner, Twitter, and I just gave an internal presentation and uh, to the partnership and laid out a 10-year vision for what we're going to be doing in, uh, in this sector. And we said it would probably be, you know, 20 to 25% of our resources we're going to deploy towards this sector, which is a lot uh, for a big firm like us. It's going to be with this health assurance mindset uh, in the kinds of things we work on. And uh, uh, there is a great degree of intentionality towards how we help the founders build companies, uh, again, that, that are fundamentally making the system more viable, fundamentally consumer first uh, in their design principles. And I think beyond that, what you know, we're trying to do is you know, find the founders that have those like-minded principles and you know bring a lot of our learning to it now you know we built Livongo, we built Humedica, we're investors in many other great companies, Oscar, Olive, um, Color, uh, many of these. And and so you know you start to build this great systemic appreciation, going back to that system thinking of where those leverage points are. And uh, you know, we want to uh, bring that learning to the founders and help them scale. It's we it, it's 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 first and foremost uh, you know, as investors, uh, we think it's a, it's one of the best places to drive returns for our limited partners, folks that invest in our funds. But I also think it's a great um, uh, responsibility that we just have to uh, seize the uh, uh, seize for ourselves. And uh, you know, if anything, this pandemic pandemic has shown. You know, as I wrote in that HPR article that you referenced, we are. A non we have a non you know a system that's completely not resilient. All you can do right now is take care of people with COVID, and everything else is taking a backseat. Pandemics are not going to be black swans. H one N one was a pandemic, so like if something happens four years apart, let's not call that a black swan. This will happen again, and we need to engineer out this devastation. And so if if we're not focusing on this over the next decade as a technorati, then what's more important? Yeah, I think that's something people forget. And I did actually like the fact that you pointed that out, that this is not a black swan. And due to some of the conditions you illustrated us living, you know, closer to 
you know, uh, wild animal populations and eating things that might have been impacted by that and, you know, being in closer quarters that we are going to see a lot more of this, unfortunately. So I guess that is a good, um, you know, sort of transition in the next question where we are living through a pandemic and telehealth has definitely helped, although I don't think it's gotten to us to where we need to be. And like you said, it's all hands on deck with COVID. And one of the things that I don't know, like, I don't know how much you talked about it. I don't think you talked about it a ton, but it feels like mental health is one of the biggest things that we're seeing as one of the byproducts, right? There's all this isolation, particularly older people, um, you know, can telemedicine help this? And are we going to learn some things? I mean, I guess that's a little bit of a rhetorical question because I think the answer is yes. And are you seeing signs of anything right now that might be able to help people using telemedicine to not only better prepare for the next pandemic, but also to maybe help with some of these mental health issues. Yeah, uh, look, mental health is a is a huge uh, area of focus for us. We have we have companies like MindStrong, Sondermind, and others we've been investing in, and uh, you know it's it's it's. Um, I'll come to telehealth in a second, but mental health is is super interesting because it's just been we've been living in denial that it's even a disease. So leave aside that things got really um, um, uh, pronounced or in terms of mental health issues over the last uh, few months because of COVID. I mean, even before that, we've, it's not like we developed a lot of uh, 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 drugs for it. It's not like we have a workforce that we've actively built to help people through this. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a little bit of an iPhone moment for the mental health area right now as well, because you're seeing an acceleration of, uh, the devastation it could cause, just the pain it's causing people. But you're also seeing how technology can make a difference, right? One of the things with COVID is uh, it's giving you a view into all these ideas that we used to think will develop slowly are developing so much faster. So telehealth is interesting uh, in mental health. And there are a lot of uh, therapy companies that are gaining traction and growing very, very fast because there's a, a need. I will say, um, the uh, long-term efficacy of what we provide as an offering for managing mental health, very dubious in my mind, because unlike Livongo's case, there is an A1C that you measure and so you can have a feedback loop and help people regulate their blood glucose in a way that they stay healthier. There is no real working diagnostic for mental health. And so, you know, that's one of the places where MindStrong is focused to say, how do we really help measure? Because if you can measure, then you can control. If you can't measure, then it's just going to be back to the volumetric therapy providing, which is what's happening today. And, you know, yes, folks are spending a lot of money and these businesses are growing, but you need to drive efficacy if you're going to, you know, truly have a different outcome on the other side. So that's, that's, uh, that's the place where we're, we're very focused on mental health. And then the other thing is, as I mentioned, you need a empathetic workforce uh, that engages with folks that are dealing with these issues uh, and help them through this. The, the design principle in mental health is all empathy to me. It's not going to be like, you know, software features that engage you more, or engage you less or whatever. So, so I think uh, that is another place where, uh, you know, effort needs to be put into scale. And that's where, where you know, Sondra Mind's really focusing on helping empower that workforce. So those are the two places we have invested creates sort of a real virtual hospital, which is diagnostic, measured first and foremost to drive outcomes, and then empower the workforce. Well, I appreciate that. And it's something that's touched me very personally. So hearing that this may be the iPhone moment actually gives me a lot of hope. I guess 
Um, just an add on to that. Do you have a time horizon when you start, we think we'll start to see some major impact? Is it, you know, because even the iPhone, I would say immediately was a game changer, but it took probably to the third or fifth version before it really started to take hold. So, you know, if you're a betting man and you obviously get paid to do this, what does that time horizon look like where we'll start to see a meaningful impact? Yeah. So, so look, I think, I think um, it's three phases uh, and I'll tell you what they are in my mind. So the first next couple of years, you will just see at least the basic connection uh, via telehealth and messaging and others so that there's some companionship that allows you to get out of there and, you know, we'll get better and better at that. Even though it's volumetric, it's still necessary. But I appreciate what those companies are doing. I think the, the couple of years after that to me is you really do start scaling around this uh, as sort of control feedback loops and truly help be efficacious. In the long term, what I'm optimistic about is many of the pharma companies now have uh, uh, therapies in development around mental health as well. So I do think some of those will turn into actual, um, you know, drugs or uh, whatever form those therapies end up taking over sort of the 10-year scale as well. So I, the, the good news is this is now a field. It's embraced. It's understood. And innovation is happening both in small and big companies in the space, which I'm excited to uh, uh, see. Well, thank you. And like I said, that's important to me. And I think probably a lot of people listening in and, and I like the way you're thinking about it. And we are seeing more drug companies, you know, putting into clinical trials, drugs that can be more effective and a little bit more targeted, right? Versus some of the broader based um, drugs right now that we have to address issues like depression, et cetera. This is the point where going from a very heavy topic, I'd like to go to a, a little bit lighter topics. And this is to get to know you a little bit better. So my final two questions are a little bit on the more playful side. I guess this second to last one is not as playful, but it can be. Um, I've been asking guests this year, uh, which I guess is apropos given the pandemic, if you have one wish, what would that wish be and why? And it can be related to a healthcare company or healthcare, it can be anything you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll, I'll um, it applies to healthcare, but it applies to broadly the kind of work we do, which is bringing new ideas and technologies to life at scale uh, as investors and entrepreneurs. I guess if I have one wish, I want to make sure we start to um, have processes with real regard for uh, unintended consequences uh, as we bring these technologies to market. So when we uh, got behind the corn, corn production and corn syrup, that's what really 70 years later led to type 2 diabetes, right? When we got behind the internal combustion engine 150 years ago, that's really what led to uh, climate change, right? There are lots of benefits in the middle, help society uh, thrive in many, many ways. But then, then we say, oh crap, didn't think about these unintended consequences. Now, the paradox is if they're unintended, then how do you really think about them? But that's where the world of artificial intelligence is really interesting. It helps you think about things um, where you intentionally aren't looking for the answers. It helps you detect uh, you know, what you might be, what second and third order effects your business or your products might be causing. And I would love to see that just become common practice in how we build businesses going forward. That is, uh, that's one of the best answers I've ever received. And that's a little bit mind blowing because I now I'm going to the place of if you knew 150 years ago or 70 years ago that these, the internal combustion engine or current corn syrup would have the uh, unintended outcomes they had, would you still invent them, right? And 
that's a whole risk reward scenario. And I'm sure part of that depends on who you are and where you sit, right. And, and what your views are. Um, but I really like that answer a lot. And so thank you. That's, that's going to make me think for probably the next few days or weeks about that one. The last one, which definitely is lighter and is probably less mind blowing is uh, one that's just truly for fun. And that is uh, you're stuck on a deserted Island. You can take an album with you. It can be anything you want. Which album would you pick and why? And don't worry about the technology. Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, I would probably pick the very first album I I owned when I moved here from India. My my, you know, it was a I, I moved here in the middle of high school, and and uh, this great uh, uh, now long time old uh, uh, friend sort of took me under his wing and introduced me to culture and music, and he got, got me my first album, which was Legend by Bob Marley. And I just have this great resonance with it because of the what it, it, it's emblematic of all the change that I was going through at the time. So all this sticks with me. Well, that's a great selection. And for whatever reason, that seems like that's a, a perfect uh, one for you and a perfect way to end. So with that, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O, host of the What to Know podcast show. And I've had the pleasure of talking to Haymont Tanasia, who's the managing director at General Catalyst, author, founder of Commure, and clearly big thinker. Uh, you've given us a lot to think about today speaking out. So, Hamon, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash whattoknow.